Welcome back. This is your kind of well, kind of toxic host, Sarah Rittendale, bringing you another episode of Wellish. Savannah Hawk, welcome to Wellish. I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm excited to be here. I will go ahead and let you introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, what you're about, your whole deal. My whole deal. Your whole deal. Okay, how much time do we have? Because <laughs> this is, okay. Um, well, I'll just start, just give you the quick overview um, where I came from. I was born in Detroit in the 70s, uh, lower middle class, a nuclear family, not very religious. I've known about Savannah in some way, shape, or form since I was like five or six years old. Mm-hmm. Um, then basically grew up, went to school, went to college, moved to New York for a job, um, Moved to South Carolina when I couldn't afford to stay in New York anymore, (laughs) which is where I am now. Typically, I would tell people I'm dual gender, which is something I had to discover over decades of who I am. And I know we'll get into that. And so because vocabulary didn't exist when I was younger in terms of like gender diversity, like Mm -hmm. what that was like in the 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, the words were there. Gender was there. But there wasn't a public vocabulary about what gender diversity was. It was all about, okay, you're gay, you're lesbian, you're bisexual, and that's right. pretty much kind of what you were aware of just yeah. from, from the fringe. And so for me, I knew the word transvestite, and I knew that it was very gross. You know, growing up, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I know uh, Tim Curry from Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm. I know Miss Doubtfire. I know yep. Tom Hanks from Booze and Buddies. Yep. And what did I know about that? I knew that being... A transvestite or crossdresser was either for comedy or for mm. um, deception. Okay. And it was all entertainment, right? Entertainment showed me yeah. what it was. And then anytime you heard about it, like on the newsstands or uh, anywhere that was not like public entertainment, it was more really like the behind the counter stuff. And it was okay. really taboo. And anything about that was really kind of underground and, and stigmatized. Yeah. So it took me to my nine to I was 25, 26 when I went to New York when I'm like, oh my God, there's people, two men who hold hands. There's drag queens out in the streets. There's this bar and restaurant called Lucky Chang's where Mm -hmm. you can see performances downtown and all those things we got exposed to after we moved to New York. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, I I see this in earnest. I see this as a real thing. It's not just entertainment for shock value or comedy value people were doing this like in real life and that yeah. actually allowed me to say okay yes i am a transvestite and then i'm like ew i still don't like <laughs> I that don't word that. i still don't like that word so i say well you know what is transvestite it is latin for a cross dressing or cross oh, okay. vestiges oh, so i'm like so okay. cross dressing that's the same word that's, yeah. that seems a lot more timid and a little more pc and sure. a little soft so i took that on as my label like when i was 25 even though i'd been obviously had Savannah as part of me since I was a little child Mm -hmm. and I was able to blow that up into a real head to toe presentation. Okay. And trust me, it was, it was pretty rough back (laughs) in the nineties. I had people trying to help me. I had like my wife at the time, she was actually going through her own journey of sexuality, but she had her girlfriend and like friends from work and the, the friend, the the coworkers friend and a girlfriend and they're all coming (laughs) over and doing my makeup because I didn't know, Shit about, it, about yeah. it, and we would go to the clubs in in the city, and like that was my first introduction to have like a full head to toe expression okay. of who Savannah is. Had to come up with a name, yeah. So we talked about off air, right? It's like Savannah was a name that like 
found me, yeah. not the other way around. Mm-hmm. So people are like, how about Jennifer? Mm-hmm. Nah. How about Deborah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was looking for something exotic, yeah. but not trampy with like hearts you know, <laughs> and an eye, like yep. stripper. Yep. Uh, so I went with, I went somehow Savannah just seemed like, wow, that's really kind of a, a name you don't hear. It mm-hmm. sounds exotic. Yeah. An exact locale, the Savannah, you know, the desert. Yeah, and, right. And all these things. So I'm like, wow, okay, I'm going to take that. So that became my name. And from then, in the 90s, it was a roller coaster of <clears throat> going out, being in the public, going to the clubs, then receding back because a lot of my a lot of my progress all stemmed from the person I was dating. Okay. So if they didn't approve or they were tolerant but not accepting, or if they were accepting but not celebratory, mm. it really Condition me to like because I'm a people pleaser and I don't want to make waves. Yes. So for me, I gauge. You're great my, for this. We're all people oh pleasers here. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it was like, uh, okay, how are they feeling? Okay, let me pull back more. I can express more. I need to express less. Yeah. And I spent, I had a 15 year relationship where she was very much on board, quote unquote, according to what I thought. Sure. And then about 12 years in, I realized I was so deep in the closet. I was worse than when I had first come out in mm-hmm. the 90s. Mm-hmm. And so I had to claw my way back up, basically saying, I don't care what you think anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't care about your your intolerance at this point. Mm-hmm. That I ended up bringing myself out, clawing myself out. I was in Long Island, on Long Island. And there was like private events. There was support groups. I started going out more, making friends, getting a network of people like me. Mm-hmm. But then, unfortunately, you said you wanted the whole story. I do want then, the whole story. Then, unfortunately, um, I had to move. Because I just couldn't afford. And you're talking to, this is from New York? This is from New York. Okay. I couldn't I couldn't afford to live there anymore. Uh, so me and then my current girlfriend, my company has a branch in South Carolina. Okay. And I said, listen, I have to move. Mm-hmm. I told my bosses. And they said, okay, give us X time and then you can go down to our South Carolina branch. Mm-hmm. So which is where I am now. Now imagine male to female crossdresser, dual gender person. <laughs> Who says, hey, let me leave New York, a nice liberal, open, accommodating, loving space to go to a very Bible Belt, gun-toting, Confederate flag-waving, Baptist, uh, conservative, Republican. That sounds like your worst nightmare. It was. It was. (laughs) And the thing is, is like I made the decision that we had to move. But it didn't dawn on me yeah. until like I'd made the decision. They said, yeah, you can do it. Yeah. That, oh my God, this is what my life is going to be. Mm-hmm. My life is going to be this. Yeah. What am I going to do? How am I going to like show up in the world anymore? I don't have a network. Mm-hmm. I was, I like searched for like six months, me and my girlfriend both trying to find a community like what I had in New York. Yeah. It didn't exist. There is no male to female cross-dressing community that's has monthly events down in the upstate. Mm-hmm. And so then we've realized, well, we have to expand our search. Yeah. So there was a, a meetup group that was just LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. I met old queens. Oh. I met some drag people. I met parents of trans youth. Okay. I met some trans masculine people. One person like myself that I met one time at one of these events, just allies. And all of a sudden, like, my, my circle exploded yeah. into what is possible okay so i've been so focused on this little little node of what i need thought i needed yeah and it ended up blowing up into like a brand new entire lgbtq queer community and how me. interesting that you moved to south carolina in order to realize that because yes. i would 100 percent think that new york would be the spot i moved from chicago here so same deal that it's like you're moving from a place where it's so inclusive and there's something for everybody mm-hmm. 
to a place in Charlotte. I feel like it, but you still were able to find your place. I was able to find it, but it, and it was, like like you just said, in the first, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Mm. Because, one, it made me realize that the bubble I had in New York, mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. was very insulated and insular and limiting. Okay. Because it was private events. It was uh, support groups in you know one person's home. Yeah. But it wasn't like out and about as oh, much. Oh, okay. It wasn't as like... Going, it was always at night. Yeah, it was always like with a group of people who were all the same. Yeah, and if you get kind of like mindset into that Mm -hmm. and don't realize, oh, there's more to it. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I thought I was fine. Yeah, I thought I had what I needed, and at the time I did. But when I came to South Carolina and realized that wasn't there anymore, and had to like peek outside, and and like the first time I got dressed again to go to this meetup group, Mm -hmm. I was petrified. Yeah. I didn't I know what that. to expect. I'm like walking out and worrying if the people in the other apartments or people walking up and down the parking lot would see me or cost me or do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Made my way to the car, blinder <laughs> to the car, and then yeah. I realized I Welcome had to, get, to being a woman. I know. Ah, I, I know. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, I said, but oh my God, now I need gas. Yeah. Had to go get gas. I had to stop and be at the pump, and I'm like clocking to make sure nobody's like looking at me. Yeah. And nobody was. Right. Then I went to the venue, and I like... It was in a back room, of course. Yeah, sure. And so, so I had to walk through the main <laughs> restaurant. Like, Where are going? <laughs> I'm like the main restaurant to get to, and I'm like, "Hey, is this where the thing is?" Yeah. And they're like, "Yeah, come on, talk to so and so." And but what I found was that nobody cared. Right. Like in general, mm-hmm. unless there's extremism, unless there's like a protest, unless there's sure. a gaggle of people who are drunk and stupid. Yeah. The general populace doesn't care. Okay, we yeah. all love ourselves. We yeah. are most important person in our lives are usually us. Yes, so, absolutely. And so, as a result, I went there, and as a real result, of that flash forward, I got more visible. Okay, and realized um, I should be out in the daytime. Yeah, I should be out doing stuff in real life. Yeah. So I wrote. I had a book I'd written for my basically for my girlfriend when I was in New York because she struggled with what I was about mm-hmm. the non transitioning trans person. Mm-hmm. And then when I came here, I wrote my second book. Did two TEDx's. Yeah. As a result, I never would have thought that. And now, yeah. now I'm doing my own podcast. Yeah. So my activism really took a step up. And all of it was because of there was a need out there for not just people like me and for partners of people like me, but for the youth mm-hmm. that's out there, mm-hmm. especially in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a need for people to have safe space, for people to see me. All I do is I go to Starbucks. I got my coffee here today. Yes. <laughs> I went to Starbucks. So I had to wait 15 minutes for this coffee with people around me yeah. waiting for their coffee. Yeah. And nobody really gave me a look. Although these these two young girls, I don't know, maybe six to eight, you know, I'm leaving, have my coffee. She looks up. She gives me a little tight little smile. I mm-hmm. give her a smile back. And that, to me, is almost like what I care about. Yeah. I was like, I want people to see me yeah. and be like, like, oh, hi. Yeah. And not like, ooh. Yeah. Like in, in that that one little moment of interaction mm-hmm. made my whole day. And I love what you say about how the general population doesn't care. And obviously, I know that we're talking about this relative to cross-dressing and being dual gender. But I think that's just something that a lot of people struggle with, that you go mm-hmm. out into the world and you think that, you know, oh, am I doing this right? Do I look okay? Do I whatever? And it's like the general population doesn't care. But what a, what a more difficult thing for you to have to deal with when it isn't as normalized as it should be. Can you elaborate on what dual gender really means? Well, <laughs> that's a loaded question because it really is not what it means or what it means to me. Okay. Right. We could talk about 
genderqueer, gender fluid, non, you know, non-conforming, um, non-binary, you know, trans. Um, and I'll just start with the, the global. And there's this already is a huge problem. We all live under the transgender umbrella. Okay. But transitioning people, male to female, mm-hmm. female to male, they also have taken the moniker of transgender. Mm-hmm. So they're not transsexual as much, which used to be the term. Now they are also transgender. Okay. So when you live under a generalized name of transgender, and then there is a subgroup also called transgender, mm-hmm. it gets very hard to then say, hey, I'm transgender for me as mm-hmm. a dual gender person. Yeah. They're like, no, you're not. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just not transgender like you, uh, okay. but I'm transgender in the sense of being beyond my biology. Sure. So back to the question of what is dual gender, dual gender to me, like I said, when I was five, six years old, I knew there was this affinity or this attraction or this kind of pull to the feminine, like looking at my mom's clothes when she was folding them after laundry or seeing how girls looked and what they wore and even having like kind of a adverse feeling in kind of a, a distortion about masculinity. Mm-hmm. It's like I felt this pull of a feminine, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what the name of it was. Sure. So 40 years later, years and years later, it's taken me this long and it's only within the last five years mm-hmm. since I've been in South Carolina that I realized that I am not a crossdresser. Yeah. Which I said I hated transvestite, and I, I chose crossdresser yeah. to make sense. <laughs> but when people ask you, oh, you're a crossdresser, why? Yeah. Why do you do it? Yeah. And so, well, you, so you can't say I'm a crossdresser because I crossdress, or I crossdress <laughs> because I'm a crossdresser. That's a circular argument sure. that has no answer. Yeah. So in reality, I'd say, well, why? Why do I do this? Why do I choose to take my male biology that I was born in? And need to have this expression. Mm-hmm. And it's not a transitional expression. I'm not looking to have surgeries. I'm mm-hmm. not looking to take hormones. I'm not looking to... Mm-hmm. I mean, if I woke up today and I looked like you, mm-hmm. I'd be like, all right, I guess I'm doing the second no, no. half of my life this way. <laughs> yeah. right? But really, I would love to be able to do it like we made my transformation easier. Oh, okay. See, because I got padding on, I got forms on, I got compression. I wish I could just wake up the day I wanted to be Savannah and look like Savannah. Yeah. But that's more fantasy than yeah. it is than practicality. Although it would be fa- it'd be awesome if I was like Mystique from the X Men and just go. <laughs> yeah, right. And look that way. <laughs> well, then, we all want that. I know, right? <laughs> like my hair is terrible. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but beyond that, so ninety percent of my life is male. Mm-hmm. I go to work as Chuck. Mm-hmm. I live a home life as Chuck. Um, the majority of my family only know Chuck, except for my sister and one cousin. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, my girlfriend obviously knows, as sure. we talked about. Uh, her entire family knows mm. about Savannah. Um, some coworkers, I finally told my boss after I've been working there at for 26 years. Yeah. I finally told the president of the company. Wow. Okay. Uh, and that was like a couple months ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they are like, they're just like, okay? or Well, it was like, well, you know, I'm like the most liberal of the liberal. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but you signed my paychecks. Yeah. <laughs> and there's never a guarantee. That 1% uncertainty of 99% certainty yeah. is it could be enough to say, I'm going to just not tell you. Yeah, sure. And so most people at work don't know. Mm-hmm. They think I look awesome when I do Halloween costumes. Oh, uh, hey, I do a lot of crossplay, <laughs> but, um, and a lot of people don't even like that. There was one person at the company down here in South Carolina who always talks behind my back about oh, right? how they hate, they hate the holiday, they hate the way some people do dress wink wink and it's me because i yeah i usually come in like super heroin like you know uh 
you know, I've done Black Cat. I've done, oh, you know, cool. I've done uh, Black Widow. I did Steampunk Daphne from Scooby Doo. Okay, with yeah. Overflowing and Corset yeah. Free. Yeah. It was, it was fantastic. <laughs> I loved it. Awesome. But, but they were like, they don't like it. Yeah. And they just, they, it just Sits revolts them, them yeah. in some way. So I pick and choose risk assessing every day. Like, can I tell that person? It's like, when it feels like I should have told them. Yeah. Not like, hmm, should I? It was like, you know what? I should have told them. Okay. That's when I share. Interesting. And it's, I've never had a bad experience. It's been from benign and kind of like, oh, okay, moving on, mm-hmm. to like, oh, my God, I love everything about it. You're so brave. Okay. You know, so you get from acceptance to acceptance, but we'll never talk about it again. Yeah. To like, I love everything about it. Give me pictures every time you dress up. Is, which one's better? Or is it not better? Well, obviously, celebratory is always going to be better. Sure. I don't, I don't want to take over my whole life. Because mm-hmm. like that's my thought is that like if they just say accept it and then move forward, it's kind of just like okay, normal. Like yeah, so it's what? normal. But I would like them to have interest. Okay. And I think if somebody is like, oh, that's great. Okay, well, about those uh, TPS reports you owe me. It's like yeah. I don't want that. I would like somebody to be engaged about because it because you want them to know you. Yeah. 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 It, it, that makes it's sense. not like saying, hey, you know, I'm a football fan. And they're like, okay, great. Now moving move on. Move on. Because yeah. it is more than just. It's a passion, but it's a passion of the core, not sure. a passion of like a hobby. Makes sense. So okay. I, so I get a little, I get a little disappointed. Yeah, that They right. don't show more interest in it. But again, that's everybody has it a right to their level of interest. I think I get excited about sharing, mm-hmm. and when it's like okay, and I'm like, and Whoa. it's just like pushed aside. But I had a whole side presentation to show you. Yeah, I get that for sure. So. I know we're talking long, long, long time about one little question, which is what is dual gender to me, yeah. which is male, pre- male mode, biology. I live, you know, 70 percent of my life more as Chuck, as a male. Very simple, very casual. Yeah. And then I have like one day a week or in this case, two, because mm-hmm. I'm with you today. Yes. Um, <laughs> to to just do that ritualistic change and transform and give her, give Savannah a voice, yeah. a body, an experience. And it's not even an experience that I can fulfill just at home. Yeah. Like being, if you like, if I got all dressed up today and I'm like, ah, I guess we'll just sit and watch TV. It's that's it's not, not the same. That's not the same. That's just to me a bigger closet. Okay. So for me, I need to be out in the world as yourself. a real person. Okay. And whether you accept me or don't accept me is me being authentic to me in real life in society. Okay. And that's like, you know, Chuck has that already. Chuck yes. is already. Except in society. So for me, it's about giving her equal time, equal voice in okay. the same society. Sweet. That makes sense. So you talk about Chuck. Mm-hmm. You are Chuck 90% of the time, you said. So what would you say is the benefit to each person? Well, you know, Chuck does bring home all the money and the health insurance. <laughs> um I, I mean, what is the benefit? I mean, there's... What like, is what's the great about being a man and great about being a woman? Privilege. Yeah? I mean, Do you feel that? Of course. Oh, my God. Duh. I didn't even think yeah. of that. Which is why when we talked about rushing to the car after six months of being in South Carolina and not being Savannah, and you said, yeah, just like a woman. Yeah. I feel both those things. Mm-hmm. So I have, like, a lifetime from birth of male privilege male white privilege yeah you know just live in life nobody cares oh you get ahead oh you're a man oh you make more money all that stuff has just been in my life and as a lot of us have heard lately in in this culture now it's like well i don't feel like i have privilege we do yeah regardless of whether i've made a million dollars because i inherited and that that's not the important part the important part is is like i've had an easier life because i'm white male 
Interesting. Okay. So sure, that's a benefit. I worked hard. I went to college. Yeah. I, I you know did I paid my dues. Mm-hmm. And now I've been at the same company for 26 years and, and doing my thing. But I feel like right now in this day and age, being a white <clears> male is <throat> not the thing you really want to well, be. Well, the thing is, is when you tout it as like, I deserve it. Yeah. That's when it's It's the mentality. And yeah. I think that's such a good benefit, obviously, of having Savannah on your side almost. It does kind of, it separates you and makes you more open-minded than I feel most typical average white men are. I don't yeah. want to say most, but. Well, I think it makes me more empath- empathetic. Yeah. I believe it makes me understand the strife. Of a female, yeah, in general, yeah. Um, I definitely can't equate any of my experiences to like a minority, yeah. Um, and people who've been, you know, redlined and Jim Crow. Sure. I can't, I can't speak to that. That's yeah. not something I've ever experienced, even as Savannah, right? But I definitely can take the gender specific um, mm-hmm. differences, yeah, and say, oh, I know what it's like to be, I know what it's like to be afraid, yeah, as Savannah. Where 10 minutes before as Chuck, I was perfectly adept and capable in the same environment. Oh, my God. Yeah. What about Savannah? What's the benefit uh, The benefit her? is um, kind of what you said. Um, I think she brings more empathy. Okay. Uh, she brings more open-mindedness. She brings a little bit of sensuality and flair. And okay. um, ironically, and, and this is a whole other discussion point, she brings some bravery and confidence that Chuck may not have. Mm-hmm. But yet, in the same exact moment, she could have a lot more fear. Yeah. So socially... She's a lot more gregarious. Yeah. Uh, Chuck sits back a little bit more. Um, Savannah loves to dance. Chuck's like a little awkward and, okay. and, and self-conscious about it. Um, but intellectually and emotionally, you're going to get the same person right. regardless. Right. But I think it's that blend because yeah. we are not separate separate entity. We're separate presentations, but okay. at the same, you know, it's the same mind, same heart, same body. Yeah. And I'm just able to take it all in from... A different lens based on how I look. Yeah, right. I love how you word that. It's different presentations because I feel something that I have heard a lot and I told you. I'm not trying to be offensive in any way, shape, or form. I've heard people present mental illness or like multiple personality disorder, but that's the difference it sounds like is the presentation. It's not you actually thinking that you're two separate entities no I... no 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 that absolutely right there's not i'm not sybil yeah right i don't have uh like i don't like black out if i put on a bra and then wake up the next day and say oh my god what have i done yeah no it's nothing like that now right. there is that i'm not saying that it doesn't exist yeah but i'm also saying that there is some middle ground and that middle ground is um the middle ground could be associated to anybody yeah but for instance for me um if i'm having a bad day or i'm just kind of forlorn dressing can be therapeutic it can be calming it can be an escape yeah from reality okay and a lot of people will use like let's say uh a ceo from a fortune 500 company Mm -hmm. is secretly a cross-dresser yeah let's just say and they work 90 hours a week and they just need to get away from the life that they're stressing about Mm -hmm. and a presentation in a feminine could be an escapism sure where they can leave all that stuff at the moment of transformation and focus purely on this this faux person that they created to yeah. to kind of embody and kind of leave that behind until they have to you know uh deconstruct and go right. back to that life um it's still there mm-hmm. it's really just a therapeutic form of escapism yeah um but how many women come home from their their stressful career job and say, I just want to get into this yoga pants mm-hmm. and my comfy sweat jacket mm-hmm. and hoodie. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden your demeanor changes yeah. because you've left that stress behind because of clothes. Yeah. 
represent that stress. Yeah, totally. So everybody feels it, but we just, because it's such a, a complete or partial transformation, it just seems a little more foreign. Sure. People absolutely. Yeah. And it makes sense. Like the escapism, I feel could easily like turn to like, oh, but you can't like hide your problems. You run away from problems. But like, <laughs> it's just like the level of healthiness with it like obviously if you're doing it unaware and you know that like you're just shoving everything down and then that's when it becomes a problem but if you're completely aware of everything that you're doing and it's just like all right i need to like you say just get into my sweatpants i just need to get into whatever attire i need to present myself in at the moment to feel that you start couch potatoing and watching netflix streaming for three hours right you're not gonna do it in a pantsuit right right (laughs) so there is a comfort clothes you give clothes power and clothes empower you yeah and that's for everybody. Yeah. For me, like dressing this way is a little more sensual. I carry on my body a little bit different because I want to have a feminine presentation, which is a whole other topic of passability and unclockability and yeah. protection. Yeah. So the more I put effort into this and the more I maybe soften my voice, the more I sit and compose and play with my hands differently and play with my hair differently because I don't have hair typically. So this is like, what is this? I'm ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it, it's just a way for me, comporting female stereotypically has its points. Yeah. Like you need to be smaller, not larger. Mm-hmm. You need to have your body tight, not widespread. Mm-hmm. All these things I've adopted because I want to protect myself in a public space. Yeah. So I, even when I was waiting to get my coffee, I was like, hip was out mm-hmm. like i was like kind of swaying back and forth and my hip was kind of popped out because mm-hmm. i was just not waiting like a dude would like hey let me just like, yeah. sit over a chair yeah it's like taking on that that guy is in that performance if you want to call it that sure in order to not bring even more attention to myself okay yeah so Interesting. so clock a bit being clocked is scary yeah because sure. that every time you don't know what that person thinks you don't know what they think of you or your kind therefore if i can like pass and you just like pass by me and didn't even notice I was there, mm-hmm. then that's, I've done my job. Yeah. So I can stand out and blend in Yeah. and both are time. successful. Yeah. So Cool. So something that you talked about in your TED talk and you just briefly kind of mentioned it now is how biological females are celebrated for their male attire. Like you're totally like, look at what I'm wearing today. I'm in a hoodie and jeans. Like, but before that was never a thing women had mm-hmm. to wear dresses and corsets and all this stuff and i think you've talked about normalizing this same idea am, am i understanding that correctly that like yeah men should be able to dress that way too and it's normal well let's let's look back as we were talking about bridgerton mm-hmm. and um all these shows period shows where you're looking at these these errors you know, the aristocrats and the oligarchs and and all this finery and you're looking at men in high-heeled buckled shoes yeah you're looking at them in satins yeah frill the I hair mean, the hair yeah. the wigs the, the even the makeup yeah you know, if you're in france it was very mm-hmm. poof you know all very white absolutely um and you look at that and then you what you said the corsetry for women and the bustles and the the little paddings they had to wear to to make everything flow and, and come in very tight and then very large mm-hmm. and showing the breasts and yes, that was a culture, but then all of a sudden, it was so it was fine to have you know uh, satin or silk knee socks for men, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden now we have no, we this is what we need. Western culture says we need to look like this. Yeah. And in my TED talk, I think I talked about an actress, uh, Hepburn, who like she she was she was accosted for wearing pants mm-hmm. because to to wear pants was uh, almost 
almost something that was unlawful. Yeah. And then even through the 60s, there, there, well, even to now, there are laws on the books that say if you were dressed a certain way, you could be arrested. Yeah. Are they typically enforced? No. But they could be if somebody wants to make a hard enough push about it. Mm-hmm. And with all the laws going on now and bills being introduced, yeah. God knows what's going to happen next. Yeah. But the idea that, yeah, it's okay for women to wear jeans and just like a polo shirt or to wear something that's a little more neutral or masculine is not necessarily, let's not say celebrated, Mm -hmm. but just normalized. Yeah. Whereas for men who want to wear something more soft and something more feminine, there's always this little tinge, depending on how far you go off the androgynous. Mm -hmm. They're like, all of a sudden there's like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. You can't wear a skirt or you can't wear that frilly top. I mean, I feel even recently, like men have been painting their nails and people will be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And it's like... Not, it's it it's should be expression totally, Yeah, completely. I mean, how many years ago was it that um, if you were a religious person, that anybody who came in with a tattoo was considered like a delinquent? Yeah. Or yeah. criminal. Yeah. And now now tattoos are celebrated, men and women. Yeah. Sleeves and like breastplates, mm-hmm. all this stuff that people are doing now, self adornment. Yeah. That's become normalized. Yeah. But yet. I haven't put a needle on my arm. Yeah. I didn't put an ink on this body yet, mm-hmm. but yet me just putting on this dress is seemingly as criminal as <laughs> tattoos were 40 years ago where you'd have to wear long, you know, if you were in the office place in a career, you better not show any of that yeah. uh, at the office because yeah. you're a professional. Yeah. And I think how absolutely awesome it is that you are advocating for that normalcy because it's almost like history in the making like as we talk about it because as this continues to progress why wouldn't it become more normal if women had to progress from this way of dress and now it's the way it is and all of these other areas of you know how people express themselves it seems so much more talked about now that why wouldn't it be that way in a certain amount of years one can only hope yeah. <laughs> because how long did it take for the gay community to get equal rights? Yeah. Civil unions, yeah. marriage. Yeah. And that's still being bumped against by certain individuals mm. in mm-hmm. politics. Um, again, as we talked about, there's in the last five years anti trans bills in general. Now, yeah. again, yeah. sports, bathroom bills, God knows what else. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're talking about you can't talk about gay you can't talk about pronouns oh my God, yeah. you your child could be taken away from you if if you choose to pursue a medical hormone regimen if they're underage and you could be considered a bad parent um, all these things are just swimming now the bad news is that's happening and it seems to be almost on the cusp of a genocide yeah type of yeah. mentality yeah the good thing is because it's become so public it's really raising awareness on all levels. Okay. Like you can't watch anything conservative, uh, liberal, mi- moderate, extremes. Nobody can go anywhere per day and not hear about something mm-hmm. that has to do with the trans agenda or defeating the trans agenda or something about the community, mm-hmm. which in and of itself raises awareness for everybody, yeah. good and bad. Yeah. So we are in an era where it's become so derisive to people who are scared of it yeah that it's kind of like we've won to a point because they are pushing back so hard Mm -hmm. so we can only hope that this stuff becomes very unconstitutional because of your first amendment rights of the kind of the absurdity of these rules hopefully 
like this blow up will then get you know tapped back down because of the fact that the courts will say no you're being absurd this is yeah. you can't do this. this is not liberties at all anymore right you're taking away liberties so yeah it's scary i'm very scared right now yeah um i'm afraid of what would happen if i went to florida yeah, yeah. Um, you know in other in texas and yeah some other yeah states. texas is such a big one even in North Carolina, when I first moved down here, I mm-hmm. went to North Carolina for a writing panel, mm-hmm. and I forgot like where they were with their bathroom bills at mm-hmm. that point. Mm-hmm. And I stood in front of the bathrooms mm-hmm. in Fem, mm-hmm. going, "Which one am I supposed to go into?" Yeah, because I didn't know what the rule of the book was. What a bizarre thing to have to worry about! Yeah. Like that's so stupid. <laughs> and, I, and I just went into the woman's bathroom because yeah. there was nobody there. It yeah. was very early in the day anyway. It was public, um, and I did it, and nothing happened, and yeah. nobody said anything, mm-hmm. and. I mean, and who's going to be the person to enforce that rule? <laughs> An well, asshole, is my opinion. Yeah. But. Well, there'll be somebody who's, who screams that their child was, you know, was, uh, how dare they, you know, let my child see that, whatever that was. Yeah. And then they go to some manager or to some admin or to some security guard and you see what happens from there. Yeah, right. But I've seen plenty of very, um, how would you say, not flattering older women who maybe look more mannish. Yeah. And are you telling me that if they are still genetically female, mm-hmm. that you're still going to have them accosted? Yeah. And then who's going to prove you right or wrong? Yeah. So I think it's a very fine line. I think people need to be, one, think a little more empathetically about other people. Yes. And not be like, oh my God. Yeah. Well, my pearls. Right. <laughs> right. It doesn't affect you. So leave it alone. Well, you think it does. Yeah. Right. You think that being like, I had somebody come up to me who thought that for the mere fact that um, there was a drag queen story hour Mm -hmm. in Greenville, that it was actually going to infect the youth to turn gay. What? And this was the... And they really genuinely believe They genuinely believe that by exposing a child to a drag queen... Uh, like what? Book. Like it's like an infection that's through the air? Yeah. That's like so that they bizarre. Were, like all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, I, I want to be gay now. That, wow. Like, it's, How it, delusional. It seems <laughs> that. But yet, like you said, they are in earnest in belief that this is yeah. the case. Yeah. And then you wait. And how do you dissuade that? How do you tell them differently? It's like. What would you say to those people? I mean, I would say like one, that's not how it works. Yeah. Two, um, we, it's not like, <laughs> it's not like a recruitment drive. Yeah. <laughs> And, yeah. and if a child is not, I'll tell you, say two things. If a child is not heading that way, it's not going to affect them. Yeah. What's the worst that's going to happen? They they think a little more fantastical when they get home. It's like, oh my God, I want to be a spaceman. And they get like a little more yeah. flamboyant about, you know, putting on a helmet or a, a Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket and putting yeah. foil on it or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. I mean, it, it opens up imagination. Mm-hmm. It does not all of a sudden switch the light on for your gender. Yeah, right. Right, that's not, it's like, it, all you're doing is giving them empathy to think beyond what they may have known yeah. up to that point. But Completely. that doesn't necessarily mean like, I'm now an advocate for all things queer. Yeah. You Screw you, mom and dad. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, that's an you, interesting concept. You mean, you mean the mom and dad them. who brought you to the show to yeah. start with? Yeah, so right. if you don't want your child exposed to that that Why scenario, put them in those then situations. don't take them. Yeah, that's all it is. It's like you're you're so worried about what other people want to do. Yeah. That if you are so concerned about your child's welfare, mm-hmm. keep them away from it. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same regard, I think what you say is such an important point that it brings out that awareness that having them exposed to all types of people is obviously going to be for their benefit. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to have the opposite and make them a certain sort of way and then rebel no. against their parents. I mean, I grew up in a very white town. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, we were outside Detroit, but um, my it was kind of a racist Area. community I was living in. That mm-hmm. anytime a black person would come by, they were gonna lower property value, or they were gonna, mm-hmm. you know, everything was gonna turn to pot in their property. Yeah. Um, I grew up that way. Yeah. But somehow, and this is kind of to the opposite. Even though I was exposed to racism. Yeah. On a daily basis. Yeah. I didn't grow up being racist. Yeah. So, hey, that's a great example. So, how, so you would assume that if I had been exposed to racism yeah. all that time, I would have just started to adopt it. Sure. So you're not necessarily, you know, derived from your environment. Right. Because at your core, you have your own set of values yeah. and experience that will tell you either to fully endorse it or be like, you know what? No, I think there's something else out there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. I want to shift into more of your mindset, kind of what you did from the time you were young to more of now, the differences between the two, that kind of deal. What is, we'll start with this. So wellish is kind of toxic, kind of well. That's like our kind of (laughs) mentality here. Normalizing the idea that we are not ever going to be a hundred percent perfect. What? So <laughs> I'm never, I know I struggle with it too. Me and my perfectionism don't like it's it. It's the process, not the perfection. Yeah. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Progress, not perfection. Okay. Or the process. Or the process. Same deal. Of the progress. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Focusing on how well you're doing over time okay. instead of eventually becoming this well-rounded version of yourself. Awesome. So what is a toxic trait that you can say you've proudly overcome? Um, I was very homophobic. Really? Uh, in my twenties. Yes. Um, that was very toxic. Uh, I always steered away from toxic masculinity. I, I was on a football team in mm-hmm. high school, and it was just gross. Locker room talk, all the talking about girl. It was gross. I, I just, I didn't, I was like, why am I on this team? I was yeah. trying, I was on the team to try to be like one of the guys. Yeah. To prove that I was like manly. Sure. But you don't want to get a varsity jacket and be seen a certain way. Yeah. It was a failure in a lot of ways. <laughs> and that's fine. because Because yeah. it was the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. But that I always steered away from. But in my 20s, when I moved to New York, I was surrounded by a lot more homosexual people. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I was of the mind that, ew, don't don't come by me. I don't want to be infected by, I don't want you hitting on me. I don't want to be infected by you. Mm-hmm. And again, kind of what we talked about with the Drag Queen Story Hour. Yeah. And you're like, but Savannah, you're dual gender. Why would you be homophobic? Yeah. And it was just because that was not my lane. Yeah. So as a result, I was very ignorant mm-hmm. about what it was to be gay. And and I had grown and I had grown up with a very homophobic environment. So that okay. I did adopt because I think I had a lot of insecurity about myself. I was just gonna ask you yeah. that. Do you think it was more like fear based? I that... think it was a lot fear based. It yeah. was about like what does it mean for me? Uh, I mean it's bad enough quote unquote, it's bad enough that I'm dual gender and, and yeah. a cross dresser, but now what if I'm gay? Yeah. Uh, you know, I was like, now I'm like, you know, double, you know, it's not like a hat trick. What else could happen to me? Yeah. Like, it's like, wow, you're a triple threat of all bad things. Yeah. Um, so I, I did have it and it wasn't, you know, once I got to New York, I like it, it flared because I was actually seeing that. And also when I started going out to the clubs, I started finding attraction mm-hmm. to men dressed as women. Okay. But I knew they were men. Yeah. So in my brain, I was like, oh, my God, I'm attracted to this man. Yeah. Not that I'm attracted to the female presentation I'm looking at. Yeah. I must be attracted to the man. So now I'm like, oh, my God, I must be gay. So I had to go through years of introspection to say, no, 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 you weren't attracted to the man. You weren't attracted to the genitals underneath. You were attracted to this woman who was across the bar looking fabulous. Yeah. Who took on all the traits of the femininity that you love already. Yeah. So I I had to, like, say, like, the... Like the woman across the room 
is your sexual attraction mm -hmm. versus your romantic attraction would mm. be that person after the day is done and you're sitting on the couch and sure. what does that look like? So I had like to like that? kind of really figure my shit out about sure. what that looked like. Yeah. So when I wrote the second book, it, mm -hmm. a lot of that was di dissecting that. Okay. Saying, oh my God. It wasn't that, I, I mean, yeah, the fear about homophobia was one thing. And like, what if that's another thing I have to contend with? Yeah, I got over that fairly quickly in the '90s. But like the like, I couldn't understand the attraction component until I really delved into the oh, it was a beautiful woman you saw, mm -hmm. not a beautiful woman underlying underlying they have a penis. Yeah, right. So, okay, that makes so sense. So I had to separate that and realize that it wasn't the case. It wasn't about that. Right. So that was a huge toxic thing I had to overcome. Plus. If you want another toxic thing yeah was just my insecurities about me and mm -hmm. about being afraid of who i was yeah and and the fact that it was like society told me that there was something wrong with me therefore there must be something wrong with me yeah and i it was a toxic component. how could you not think that how could i not right like i saw what the world saw of me therefore that's what i was yeah um and as a result that informed and influenced almost every decision yeah, i made totally. mentally about who i am yeah like who am i am i i know who i am i know i'm a good person mm -hmm. like i'm not hurting anybody i'm not hurting myself mm -hmm. but yet somehow that wasn't good enough because everything else the world told me said that it was wrong yeah you've talked a lot about fear you've talked a lot about judgment from other people what are your best coping mechanisms for that oh introspection yeah. investigation um, I'm super, super sensitive. Okay. Super me too. <laughs> sensitive. I mean, to the fault of like, you could say 10 validating things to me and you could say one un That's me. Un unintended <laughs> yep. invalidating thing. And that thing blew up a hundred. And I'm going to sit there and I'm going to reel about that for the next yeah. 20 years. <laughs> uh, well, well, that's where you and me may be different because I won't, re I'll reel like yeah. intensely. But then I get very quiet mm -hmm. and I will one, not talk to anybody mm -hmm. and I will start thinking about it and mm -hmm. churning through it and coming to my own sense about it. Now, some of it may be, if that comment was invalidating, what does it mean? Is it true? Is it not true? Is it perceived? Is it the way I'm perceiving to others? And I spent a lot of time working on my self-concept. Okay. I've spent a lot of time delving into positive regard and conditional love and how I've become the person I am because of all the things that are, you know, outside influences. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's all about the inside, all the interior things that are me trying to come out. Mm -hmm. And so I cope by writing books. Yeah. I cope about researching and the podcast has been very, very therapeutic for me mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. So I've come leaps and bounds in the last five years once I got to South Carolina mm -hmm. um, with this journey of being okay to come out into the world to come to this podcast studio to talk to you today yeah and going to Starbucks and not worrying about what people may think of me yeah and knowing that I am not only good enough I'm amazing as I am yeah and that is all that needs to be yeah because everybody else's opinion of me is really just collateral right it's just peripheral to me yeah Oh my God. How awesome. I mean, what a, what an amazing journey that it would take in order to like have that. But you think it all has come from your own self-awareness, your own self-work. You know, it's not like something that just happened to you over time. 
No, no, it, it takes work. Takes, I yeah, didn't even start therapy sure. until the last couple of years. Oh, wow, okay. So, like, if people are like, oh, man, you've never been in therapy? Yeah. Because I actually talk very therapeutic, like, kind mm -hmm. of in those terms, because I've done the work. I mean, when yeah. you're trying to find a label that, that describes yourself, and you spend 10 years online seeing that the, the words change, and mm -hmm. the definition of the words you knew has changed, yeah. now there's more words, yeah. and you constantly have to go back to the well to see what it means to you. Mm -hmm. Like, try it on. Talk to people. See if their experiences resonate with you i've spent a lot of time listening mm -hmm. to be like yeah that's not really me mm -hmm. or like oh wow that's exactly how i feel yeah and like being able to put yourself out there actively listen to other people's stories see what imbues for you and not all those things i've done over my lifetime and it may be just me that might just be like the way i'm built yeah and like as opposed to a coping mechanism i just think that's me yeah um and as a result it's helped me really come a long way to self-discovery yeah absolutely what would you say is your best advice to someone trying to find their place pretty much what i said yeah. i think um i'm trying to think how would you approach that um the internet's very dicey mm -hmm. it's uh, treacherous water mm -hmm. because for somebody like me um looking up the word cross-dressing or cross-dresser comes up with a lot of erotica a lot of porn a okay. lot of things that are not going to put you in the place in the lane you want to start investigating sure um but I, I think it has to come, I think first it has to come from a place of knowing, again, if you're not hurting yourself and you're not hurting others, that one, there should be nobody telling you there's something wrong with you, mm -hmm. number one. Mm -hmm. So come from a baseline of yeah. that. That should be your primary thing. It's like that I am me and there really is nothing wrong with me. I am fine. Yeah. And then as you go on and realize, okay, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I'm an okay person. Mm -hmm. Then you can start pushing that envelope out and saying, but why? It's always the why's for me. Yeah. It's always like, <laughs> it's like, but why do I do this? And I'm yeah. not saying there's a, tr there's a, a sinister reason why. Mm -hmm. It's just like, there's an underlying pinnings of why. Yeah. And if you can investigate that, it's like, why do I always react this way? Mm-hmm. Oh, because I had trauma when I was a child. Yeah, right. So it's I'm like, why do that. I always blow up when somebody cuts me off in, in, you know, on the 85, mm -hmm. you know, it's like those things, you can't change the reaction. Yeah. And you may never change the reaction, the initial reaction, but you can always investigate the reasons why it's so intense for you. Yeah, sure. And that way you can work on it. Yeah. And if you can work on it, like I said, it may soften the reaction. Not necessarily like, yeah, well, you know, every time somebody cuts me off, it pisses me off. Yeah, right. It's like, hey, that may never go away. But like you said, if it's the, the process and the progress of like, it may get a little easier, a little better. You'll mm -hmm. understand right. your motivations. And if I've done that almost like globally as an experience for myself. Yeah. Uh, especially when it's come to Savannah because Savannah's always been a, why do you do that? Why do you want to do that? Yeah. Why would you put yourself through that? Yeah. Well, there are reasons and that's the reasons I've investigated over <coughs> a lifetime. Um, <laughs> 45 years, 50 years. So you, confidence has to play such a big role in yeah. this. Have you always been a confident person, or is that something that you've built over time? Well, Chuck was, you know, Chuck had it easy, mm -hmm. as we talked about. Yeah. So confidence, you know, he suffered. Yeah. You know, he was never, like, so uber confident. like, I'm going to be captain of the football team. Yeah. Or, but he was always very studious. He was always good at learning. Um, he was he was a decent person. Um, so, but confidence is so subjective. Yeah. Because you can have confidence in one thing. And be completely terrified of something else. Totally, yeah. So it's not a global, universal thing. But I will say yes, in terms of everything we discussed, 
the confidence I have in who I am at Savannah is it's on high def. It's yeah. at a hundred. Mm-hmm. It's a hundred percent. It's yeah. like I don't I go out into the world unless I'm just having a really bad day. Mm-hmm. I mean I can go out into the world any day and be, yeah, I'm good. I got this. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, and do you, so what do you think is the biggest difference between younger you and now you? Have you learned like <sighs> exponentially more? Would you say, or is it just like been a growth over time naturally? Both. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not gonna. You could have a lifetime, but if you don't actually pay attention to the lifetime, mm-hmm. you're not going to learn anything. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. like, it is about I having the experiences that you have to have in order to grow. Mm-hmm. But be able to actually take those experiences, internalize it, think about it, and own it in a lot of ways yeah. to actually see that growth happen. Yes. So, yeah, it's both active and passive. You actually have to make effort to do the work. But you also have to like put yourself out in the world. Mm-hmm. Had I not gone to Starbucks, I was going to ask you that question. <laughs> I mean, you, I think that's so cool that you make the intention to go and put yourself out there every single week. So why do you do that? How much has that impacted this? A lot. Yeah. A lot. Because one, it shows that the perception I had of others mm-hmm. was misplaced. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Like my perception was, if anybody saw me in public, there'd be dirty looks, yeah. triple takes. People like sneering, people like whispering under the breath and pointing, all the mm-hmm. things that you just assume. Pitchforks, they go out to the <laughs> trucks and bring the pitchforks back in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you just assume all these things because especially like the, the state we live in. Yeah. And that was both the physical state we live in and the mm. state of the, the affairs that we live in. Yeah. And so for me, it was always that fear and that rational fear because we know it happens. We yeah. know people are murdered. Yeah. Typically trans women of color. Mm-hmm. So we know this is not like some absurd make believe thing. It's yeah. not a make believe thing. So I took my rational fear, exaggerated it. Okay. And then made it more real for myself. Yeah. So once I realized that the fear as rational as it may be was actually exaggerated by me, mm-hmm. I could actually put it away. I love that. That was so powerful because that's so true that you take these real life things that you know are possible. You've thought them up. You've seen other examples of Mm -hmm. them. So you're like, okay, that's something that could actually happen. Mm -hmm. But I need to be able to kind of back pocket it, continue to put the intention into building the self-trust that these things aren't going to happen. Because once you put yourself out in that situation and you see that that's not what happens, you gain that confidence to continue to do that and then you have to keep building on it like me going to starbucks is always like my safe place i know their okay. corporate policies i know they're queer friendly mm-hmm. so you could always go to almost any starbucks and be like mm-hmm. even if somebody does accost me as a patron mm-hmm. like you know that staff is going to be like you need to get out of here yeah and leave for our, sure leave our people alone so i know i have that in my back pocket already mm-hmm. still fearful but once i did it it's been what three four years now i go out almost every weekend mm-hmm. um but yet Somebody, my girlfriend asked me to go to Walmart. Um, so I went from my safe space at Starbucks <laughs> to the Walmart, which was, I don't know, football field away, mm-hmm. and almost couldn't get out of the car mm-hmm. for the fear I had of what was waiting for me inside. Yeah. And it took me a while, and that was what the first uh, TEDx was about, the fear yeah. of doing that. Mm-hmm. And finally, I said, all right, because I don't know what the policies are. I don't know what the patrons are like. I don't know what they would do with You're walking me. into an unknown situation. Yeah. So I did it, finally. Yeah. And there were some looks. There was me on the phone to my girlfriend saying, I can't find the cheese. Yeah. And everybody's like, wait, what's that woman like with a weird voice? Yeah. So I was like, up and down the refrigerator section. I found it. Um, I had a cute little, 
it was so sad, but it was so cute. Like this old man was in front of me in line. I got my cheese mm-hmm. and he turns around like stick right at from his cart. He turns 180, looks at me. He's like, hi there. And I'm like, hi. Mm-hmm. And he was like, how are you? I'm like, hi, how are you? And they, they heard my voice. They saw my face and they turned right back around. Oh my God. And that was the, the extent of the exchange. And it was sad because they were so lovely, Yeah. but yet they saw me and were like, no. and were really put off. Mm-hmm. And so that was sad, but yet. But you know, it didn't deter you. It didn't. And I think yeah. that's awesome. I relate to what the how you were talking about the fear of going into the grocery store. I used to be like absolutely terrified to walk into a new gym, for example. Mm. And I was going to a new one that was like a more of a bodybuilder gym. Everybody was like regulars there. And I just had a full-blown panic attack <laughs> in the car before. It took me like an hour, tears, the whole <laughs> shebang to like get into this place. And then I did it. And it was no big deal. And from then on, it's always like, okay, like it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. It's like you're walking into these unknown situations and it's like you just have to put yourself out there yeah. and do it and realize that it's going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, and I will put one little caveat to that. Yeah. Is that because I hear this a lot in, in the field of the people I work with mm-hmm. is that everybody's got their own thing. Yeah. Okay. Now, this is the way I, I show up in the world. Yeah. Typically a dress or a skirt and a blouse and going to be some heels involved. And that's whether I go to the library or Lowe's mm-hmm. or Starbucks or whatever. That's yeah. what you're going to get. Right. But yeah, there are going to be some other people who put themselves out there even more. Mm-hmm. Like there are going to be people who are a little more fabulous. People who are, you know, maybe are very androgynous, are going to wear a dress but have... A really cool beard. Yeah. It's like, and that's yeah. even outside of my normalcy. It's like, that's not something I would put myself out as. If I don't appear very binary female looking, stereotypical okay. female, yeah. I'm not comfortable that way. Yeah. But other people may be. Right. Now, that I actually applaud them for going out because they're breaking the stereotypical feminine norm sure. or male norm yeah. uh, by doing this androgyny or doing this like high def combination. Uh, combination and that's not something for me, but so like, I'm like pretty, pretty benign when it comes to my presentation. You're not going to be like, oh my God, they got thigh high heels and <laughs> yeah. hair that's like bigger than their whole body yes. and glitter everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> that's not going to be me. Yeah. So I'm very safe. Yeah. So even when people approach me. But that's how me, you do it. Like that's yeah. your way of expressing it. But people I found, um, the populace who have actually talked to me mm-hmm. said that I don't appreciate those type of people. Mm-hmm. Because they're too loud, they're trying, they're they're too big. Mm-hmm. But you are very approachable. Yeah, right. Because I'm very... You do fit into the normal box. Yeah. Of yeah. all of those types of ways of expressing yourself, yeah. you do fit into that normal box. Right. That it's like you're not, like you say, you don't have like all of the glitter and all of the things. All right, over right. You. Which again can Which be amazing. Which like normal mentality, right? Yeah, like when I show up, when it's Halloween and I'm dressed... In some crazy costume, mm-hmm. and I'm showing up at Starbucks. Everybody's like, "Oh, can I take a picture with you?" Now imagine that's on a general Tuesday in July, yeah. And somebody's gonna be like, uh, "What's I this person? Yeah, doing? what's happening here?" <laughs> yeah. So it, there's there's a fine line. I'm not saying the line should be drawn for thyself. Mm-hmm. I'm saying be aware that there are people out there with even more challenges because of the way they want or yeah. need to present. Way beyond me, I'm like middle of the road. I'm mm-hmm. very innocuous yeah in terms of like my presentation so somebody who's going in there with like fishnet and micro mini skirts and five inch platforms and god knows what else yeah on going into church yeah may not be you know you're gonna get a lot more stairs (laughs) yeah you have more to contend with yeah sure so okay sweet what is the biggest challenge you think people have when it comes to figuring out who they are 
Um, oh, haha. Uh, all the every external influence you had in your life, whether you believe it or not, or recognize it or not, informs your experience and your worldview. Mm-hmm. And that worldview is both outward and inward. Mm-hmm. So as a result, I've said this before that you actually have to um, assassinate yourself. Okay. Like everything you think you know about yourself have been brought up to believe about yourself, have been indoctrinated into what you've learned and educationally brought into yourself. You have to assassinate every one of those notions Hmm. in order to like rip everything raw to be like, what am I under all of this? Am I a product of my religion? Am I a product of my culture? Am I a product of what society says I should be? Or am I going to look, rip all that away to like the bareness of me and say, this is where I want to be. Okay. Like, this is where I am mm-hmm. in life. This is my concept. And here's my ideal concept, self-concept. This is who I am. This is what I want to strive to be beyond all those things that are telling me I should or shouldn't be that. Yeah. And, and you have to, you got to get there. That's yeah. where you have to be in yeah. order to like be purely authentic, like in a vacuum. Like you hear it all the times, like if you were in a desert island, mm-hmm. would you transition? If you're in a desert island, mm-hmm. what would you want to do? Mm-hmm. Like when you take every social element out and just and have no invalidation to contend with, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you start looking at yourself in a way that's more true to you. Yeah, for sure. What does it mean to you have to have that clear idea of who you are? So you rip off the Band-Aid, you do the assassination of your character. Can you like... <laughs> What does that look like then? Like you're left there standing there raw. Who are you? Like, what does that look like? Are you just it's hard to say? Yeah. I mean, it, and it's not, it's not as maybe as, as terrifying as I make it sound <laughs> because you can do, it's like an onion, like, you know, Shrek, he's yeah. like an onion. He has layers, yeah. you know, and you can just peel back a little at a time. This is not like all today that you have to do this yeah. all at once. I have to sit down and meditate and do it all today. No, it is a lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's taken me a lifetime to take little elements out, rip it away, mm-hmm. see what galvanizes from there, and then live with that for a little while, and then maybe say, all right, now I'm ready to do the next thing and peel yeah. that away, let that oxidize and galvanize. And all yeah. of a sudden, you, you, you basically start getting down to the core. Yeah. And it may take a long time. It may take a lifetime, mm-hmm. as you say. Mm-hmm. Or it may be something you can do, mm-hmm. depending on how old you are. If you're younger, it may actually be more expedient because you don't have a lifetime of things weighing you down. So for me, because I grew up, you know, pre-internet and, you know, the internet was an infant when I was, Savannah was an infant. (laughs) um, It becomes something that you have to just constantly just, you just got to get out there and do that one thing different. Whatever that one thing is like, you know, again, looking at society or looking at religion or looking at what people think you are or looking at what your label means. Mm-hmm. It's like, is that label me anymore? It's like, I don't understand that. It's like, everybody says I'm non-binary, but when I, so, but wait, but my presentations are very binary. And then you got to say, oh, but you're, you're very binary in your non-binary-ness. Oh, okay. I get it. Mm-hmm. And you have to really, you have to put yourself out there and really take in information. Yeah. And that will help you to inform and maybe not in a, a band-aid ripping way, but it maybe it will just be a solvent yeah. for some of those things that are holding you back. Absolutely. So. And I like how you talk about that. It takes time. It it's, does. It's it some, does. Like you said, a lifetime. Perfect box way of like, okay, I figured it out. I'm good now. Oh, and it, oh, here's the thing too. 
Uh, you may think you figured it out, <laughs> and you may think you're perfect. And six months from now, you're like, Wait, if, I don't if like you this. never go back to look at what's in that box, mm-hmm. you will fully uh, miss the fact that you've moved on and mm-hmm. evolved. Yeah. So, like, never think that this set of rules that you said, check, 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 check. Yep, I'm all these things. Whew, thank God, I'm done. Yeah. It's... And you come back six months later and say, oh, yeah, I don't think like that anymore. Yeah. So if you, like, stop and stagnate, you'll never evolve further as right. you go on. You, it's always it's a, a constant. Yeah, it's always constant. Yeah. What pieces of yourself are you still getting to know? Well, I, I think in this point in my life, I mean, I've been in my career for years. I would like to – I have a lot of creative outlets that don't pay the bills, but they're <laughs> passionate, so I do them mm-hmm. like what you and I are doing today. Yeah. Um, you know, would I do it if I was, you know, getting paid? I would love to, but no, it's just a passion and advocacy that I have. So I'm growing into what's next. Okay. Um, you know, what, what are things I'm still trying to figure out is what is the next part of my life look like? I mean, everything has been kind of going, going on, the gears are turning, everything's kind of well oiled and, and very routine, but yeah, I don't know what the next thing is. And I know that I'm fairly confident, like I said, my box, my check boxes, and my list is all checked now, mm-hmm. and I will always revisit that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm fairly confident in who I am as mm-hmm. a person. But again, that is meaningless, you yeah. know, as we go forward. Um, but just doing more and trying to like push the envelope more, trying to be more of an advocate. Um, and I'll say this: I say it all the time: is not everybody's built to be an advocate. Yeah. And you don't don't feel bad if that's not your lane. Okay. But. You maybe you can donate money instead to a charity that you know is is wonderful, or maybe like me, I'm like kind of a, a guerrilla warfare kind mm-hmm. of advocate. I'm not out there, you know, waving flags yeah. during pride marches. Yeah, I'm just showing up in the world. Right. So if I can get somebody to see me, see me, yeah, and I can change their life in just the most minute way, yeah. where the multiverse. You know, they were going this way and now they're branched off in some other wonderful way. Mm-hmm. That's all that matters to me. For sure. So I just want to keep doing that. Um, can I do it more? I don't know. Sure. I don't know what that looks like. So for me, it's about like, what does the future hold for me? Yeah. Because again, we all know it's unknown, but I would love to kind of piece together what I could do differently. Yeah. Absolutely. The fact that you just brought that up, that's a great transition because I was just about to ask you. So before we get into, I'm going to do a little closing game with you, but <gasps> okay. before we do that, um, it, this is going to be released right in right at the beginning of Pride Month. Okay. So, what are the best ways for people to support and to show their celebration if they're not a part of the community, or if they are? I mean, well, uh, you know, Pride itself. There's, you know, unfortunately, the one in Florida just got canceled because of all the the laws being passed, mm-hmm. so they canceled the Pride Week, um, which brings allies and tourists and queer folk alike all together. Um, so depending on where you are, you know, you could always just go to pride. You don't have to be priding. Yeah. You know, you don't have to throw on rainbow colors, but you could go and experience it peripherally and see what is there. And if it speaks to you, I mean, they may have, you know, vendors that you can go see and buy stuff. Um, you can support your local charities. You can call your government if you don't like what they're putting out there as proposed bills that are going into subcommittee. Mm-hmm. You can just be a friend. You know how we said that people don't care at the beginning? Mm-hmm. I'm going to pull a line from Ted Lasso because okay. I just watched this episode last <laughs> night. One of the players, just a spoiler alert, um, one of the players came out as gay. Okay. And he shared. And everybody said, we don't care. Yeah. But that's not what they meant. They meant they cared very deeply and they cared very deeply for that person. 
Okay. Like they don't care that you're different. Yeah. That's not what the motivation is, but they cared for you. And that yeah. was the point he was making in the locker room is that it's not that we don't care. We do care and yeah. we love you and we love everything about you and we're here to support you. So at the very least, what you could do for pride is to just support somebody that's unlike yourself, somebody who maybe is in community, somebody who you know is gay, or just be a shoulder, be a hug. Yeah. Just be some be something for somebody else. Yeah. Um, and that sometimes is all we need. That one little spark mm-hmm. of joy and acceptance that will propel us forward. Mm-hmm. And I think also it would propel that person forward, knowing they did something selfless and yeah. something with love. Mm-hmm. And if that's the least you can do, it costs you nothing. Yeah. Other than your effort. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Are you ready? We're gonna play kind of toxic, kind of well. All right. Let's go. Okay. What or who are you jealous of? I am well. I'm gonna keep it on on uh, theme, not brand. So I'll say it again: <laughs> it's like I'm jealous of women. I covet what women have. I cu- I I am always upset that they don't see it within themselves. Mm-hmm. What I see in them mm-hmm. is like, oh my god, you got it, you made it, you're you're, you're winning. <laughs> yep. You're like, oh, I hate everything about myself. I'm like, yep. oh my god, you got everything <laughs> I want. That's funny. So you know, come on. <laughs> so I I always spend a lot of time. Like pointing out to women yeah. the things they see as flaws mm-hmm. that are just perfection. That's crazy. Okay, good one. What is the last time you people pleased instead of doing or saying what you really wanted? What time is it today? I can't, <laughs> uh, not, not today. I mean, we talked about this. I'm very much a people pleaser, but um, hmm, it's it's been a, it's been a minute. It's yeah. been a minute because this year has been this year. The last couple of years has been about retracting from the wanting to keep the status quo or wanting to keep the peace because again the more confidence i gain as a person Mm -hmm. as a a real entity Mm -hmm. the less i'm willing to just put that aside for somebody else's comfort yes yes i love that when are you selfish every day (laughs) um but what is selfish Mm -hmm. what is selfish i mean Am I selfish for saying, hey, honey, I'm going to see Sarah today and we're going to do this podcast and I'm going to get all dialed up. That in and of itself is selfish. Mm -hmm. It's like it's for me, Mm -hmm. but it's a needed part of me and it's a bigger than me. Um, So selfish, you know, I think it gets a bad rap. I think the word is a bad rap. I agree. Um, And I will not. I am. I mean, I mean, control the remote. But I still like, you know, cater to, well, there's people pleasing. I always cater to what my girlfriend wants to watch first before myself. Okay. So, you know, we watched Survivor. Then I watched Ted Lasso when she went to bed. Mm -hmm. So I I guess I have been people pleasing going back to the other one. Um, But yeah, I I do try to, again, and and that's kind of a, a, a tricky pairing because selfishness and people pleasing do not go together they always butt yep. heads mm-hmm. so i will say that um yeah i'm kind of struggling with that all the time but in terms of the bigger things yeah the more important things the less the less trivial things mm-hmm. i try to be selfish when my heart's at risk and um people pleasing when it's like me eh, whatever you yeah know, we can do your thing first it's fine yeah for sure so, yeah what do you find yourself overthinking about i still think i overthink what people think mm-hmm. i still worry about like what people are doing around me, but that could just be self-awareness. It mm-hmm. could just be, you know, making sure I understand spatially aware of what I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I think I'm always, and I think that's just like uh, mechanics at this point. I sure. think I've just built this mechanism over years to protect myself. And I think I overthink 
again, what's that person doing? Is that person looking at me? Mm-hmm. And, I, and by it's gotten so subtle. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not blaring. It's not like, oh, I'm looking at the guy. He's looking at me. I always think of something. It's more of like clock, 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 yeah. clock. And then just being aware. <laughs> yeah. And then just trying to center myself and then saying, all right, as long as they're not making an untoward move towards me, yeah, then it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I'm going to let it go. What makes you quick to get angry? Being invalidated. Yeah. Uh, that is my biggest. Uh, there, I have several triggers. And my triggers all revolve around, um, one, people thinking I'm stupid mm. and making a comment that's like, makes me feel stupid. I say they're saying I'm stupid, but okay. they make a comment that makes me feel like I'm stupid yeah. or didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. That's, I'm quick to anger there. Um, being invalidated as Savannah, any choice words or phrase um, that can be a little um, critical. Yeah. Without being empathetic. Okay. Um, will really hurt my heart. And it doesn't make me angry. It just it just really hurts. Yeah. What are you afraid of? Probably hmm, that's tough because it, it, it lessens and waxes and wanes as time goes. But I'm you know, afraid of not being loved. I think was probably my biggest thing is like yeah. I want to be loved for who I am as a total person. Yeah. Um, just because I dress a certain way one way and this way, I'm still the same person. Absolutely. I can't I can't separate savannah and chuck from no a single heart right so for me um my biggest fear is not being loved for the person i am what do you not have empathy for Int- oh man because i was gonna say intolerance but that's not true um anything that kind of like what's going on in the united states now anything that ends up being targeting any set of people in a way that's ignorant and is not for equality and is for exclusivity and keeping them down or keeping them behind bars, whatever it is that like for me, anything that keeps the LGBTQ community not on equal footing with everybody else mm-hmm. or the people who are putting the, the measures in place. Mm-hmm. So I have no intolerance for that. Um, and that that's really upsets me. Mm-hmm. You know, people who think they know everything and want to tell you, because they know everything for them, then what you know is wrong. Yeah. I have no tolerance for that. Nice. If you could give one piece of advice to someone trying to improve themselves, what would it be? Truth. I mean, it's truth. It's, it's finding your truth. Yeah. In, in embracing the truth. Mm-hmm. Again, don't harm thyself. Don't harm others. Um, other than those two caveats, be your truest self. That will make you your happiest self. Absolutely. Where can people find you? Oh, you can find me on Facebook at Savannah Hawk, and that's Hawk with a U. Um, also on Instagram under the same handle. Uh, you can find me at livingwithcrossdressing.com, and that has a lot of the uh, links to the books that you can get on Amazon. And lastly, um, I do have a podcast with a co-host that we do talk about, not as deep as this today, <laughs> which is amazing. Uh, but we talk about, you know, the the dual journey, the dual gender journey and the, the trans journey and the male and female cross-dressing journey. And that's at the Fox and the Phoenix podcast. Sweet. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here and sharing everything today. Thank I you. really appreciate oh, it. Oh, you're amazing, sir. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>